0: G'day, friends, and welcome again to our Equip podcast where we look back at what we covered in class last Sunday, as well as go a little bit further. So on Sunday, we did some Old Testament exegesis through Deuteronomy chapter 8. And hopefully for you now, uh, this is an exercise that's becoming just a a bit more straightforward for you, uh, using those coma questions to go context, observation, meaning, application, Uh, without putting yourself in a coma, of course, but but actually getting plenty out of the text now. Uh, This is something you can keep practicing. You can put it alongside your SOAP studies, if you're already doing that, uh, or even just sort of um, add that context bit at the beginning when you do SOAP and practice particularly looking at the textual context and then noting what historical, cultural, literary, theological context questions might come up in a text. What I want to do in the podcast today is just go back over Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 1 to 10 uh, with a few extra exegetical comments for you. Uh, These will be comments that just show you the sort of things you can push into if you ask the right sort of questions. Uh, And then after doing that, I want to circle back around to um, how we looked at Blue Letter Bible on Sunday and uh, show you another example of how to use that in your, particularly your your, um, New Testament reading. So first up, Deuteronomy chapter 8. You might remember that uh, this whole section is to do with remembering the Lord and and remembering that he is the one that they have to follow and remembering the way that he provided for them while they were in the wilderness and disciplined them while they were in the wilderness. And there were all those uh, reminders as well of the good promise of land that he has in store for them. So I just want to kind of go verse by verse and, and pull out a few things. If you have the text in front of you, great. Um, so I'm starting at verse one there. And one thing that we might observe as we come through this passage is that it begins with the words, the whole commandment. So the whole commandment I command you today, you shall be careful to do, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What's interesting there perhaps is that the whole commandment is singular. He's not saying these are the commandments that I tell you today. It's it's one whole singular commandment. And so we might wonder as we're reading, which commandment is that. Is Does he have one thing in mind? Uh, what's he referring to? Uh, and, uh, and what we might do is look back through the book of Deuteronomy and see where else has he used the word commandment. Uh, we'll see back in chapter five, he used it referring to uh, the Ten Commandments, of course, and so perhaps he's picturing the Ten Commandments all as, as one whole thing. We don't just pick and choose; we follow everything that the Lord has said, as if it's just one commandment, not ten. Um, there's also the Shema in chapter six: "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength." Perhaps that what he what's he that's what he has in mind as sort of a summary of all God's commandments. It, it basically Boils down, as Jesus says in Matthew 22, to uh, love God and love your neighbor. So maybe that's what it is. But um, we should note, I think, that it is singular at the start. Rather than all 616 commandments that the Old Testament gives us, here uh, the writer is picturing it just as one that we have to keep. Uh, but we have to keep it completely. Worth considering that. Uh, then as we come to verse 2, I'll give you a comment here. Uh, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you, etc. Uh, that word, remember, uh, has popped up a couple of different times uh, in Deuteronomy. Uh, and um, what you might do is you might go into Blue Letter Bible and put in Deuteronomy 8.2, and you'll find that the Hebrew word here for remember is a word, zakar. And zakar doesn't just mean like, oh, let let it live in your mind, and, you know, sometimes it it just sort of calls to mind. It's an active remembrance. It's something that we we intentionally memorize and bring to the front of our mind. Uh, As an example of that, if you are using Blue Letter Bible, uh, you might come down to the cross-references, and you'll see there in Genesis 8.1, God remembered, that is zakar, God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock, etc., and uh, he made a wind blow over the earth and the waters of the flood subsided. Now, that's not as though God forgot Noah and then just oh popped back into his mind. Oh, I better, better help him out. No, it's this, it's like actively, intentionally going, okay, this is the moment when I need to subside the waters of the flood. And so too in Deuteronomy chapter 8, to remember what the Lord has done and remember the commandments of the Lord is not just, oh, when they come to mind, make sure you do them, but again, actively calling them to mind. Another comment from chapter two is the word test. Um, So here we have that uh, the Lord was testing the Israelites to know what was in their heart, whether they would keep his commandments or not. There's an irony here that we might notice, which is that the, uh, the Israelites, of course, in the wilderness tested god Um, they tested him by by grumbling about the food and then also grumbling about not having access to springs of water and and things like that but um, them testing him is inappropriate what is appropriate is him testing them uh, because they are his creation they are his sons so a bit of a uh, bit of a an irony there Um, in verse two as well we get the word no Um, that he might know what is in your heart. Uh, Now, God already knows what's in everyone's heart. Uh, There's the word yada. Again, you can go to the Blue Letter Bible and see what's behind this. Um, It it also kind of means like find out or, or expose. One commentator puts it this way. He says that, this is Daniel Block. He says that it's exposing the shallowness of Israel's commitment to Yahweh. That's what he's doing as he exposes what's in their heart. Uh, Let's come down to verse six. So we'll skip over a bunch. Uh, Verse six, so then you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Um, Notice commandments now has become plural. It's not singular like in verse one. So obviously, whatever the whole commandment was in verse 1, uh, it's, it's meant to include all of the things that God has said. Um, what's it look like to keep God's commandments? Well, it's explained here by um, the, the use of the word by there. Come, uh, keep them by walking in his ways and fearing him. And I, I loved that on Sunday, Rob Stewart had a, a great point around what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, we, we only get a little bit of info here. Um, but uh, we might want to jump across to some theological connections elsewhere. Um, Proverbs chapter 1 and chapter 9 has has quite a bit about what it looks like to fear the Lord, and you could go and chase up those references. Uh, And just probably as one final little comment, um, verse 7 to 9 and verse 10, we of course get the amazing descriptions of the land they're coming into, but in verse 10, we get that um, the, the blessings of the land are not really the point. Verse 10, you shall eat and be full. Yep, that's good. But the purpose of that is you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. The reason God gives blessings is that people would return them with praise. It's that they realize how good he is to them, how faithful, how loving, how kind, how wise, how powerful, how mighty. And that they would therefore turn and bless his name. Eating staves off hunger But praising God staves off self-sufficiency. That might actually be a really good summary of this little passage. And therefore, as an application, praise God now for his gracious provision. Don't wait till you're in the land. And for us, don't wait until you're in the new creation. Uh, You can actually have your heart right with him now and stave off self-sufficiency by choosing to remember what he's done, remember who he is, and praising him for all the wonderful ways that he provides for us and disciplines us to grow us. So there you go, Deuteronomy 8. Now, changing gear just a little bit, um, on the Blue Letter Bible website or app, uh, if you've got uh, the ability to, to pull that up, uh, we're gonna look at John 3.16 really quickly. And this is, again, just to help keep developing your skills at, uh, at using this, this tool. Um, What you might want to do is pause the the recording here and pull it up. Uh, Otherwise, if you just want to follow along and then check later for yourself, that's fine. So John 3.16, really well-known verse, For God so so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now let's say we wanted to do a little bit of further study into what this verse is saying, uh, what connections there might be. Uh, What you could do, go into Blue Letter Bible, uh, open up the verse and then go tools. Your interlinear will come up. Um, and I'm going to put mine on reverse inline like I did on Sunday Up the top there. It says, you know, uh, reverse forward, forward inline, reverse inline. I'm hitting reverse inline so I can see it all nice and clearly. And I'm just going to click on a couple of different things. So um, there's that word love. Agapao is what it says in, in Greek and you may have heard of the, uh, the different words that, that the Bible uses for love, there's um, agapos, oh, sorry, uh, agape, uh, and there's uh, phileo, and eros, and, and they sort of have different shades of meaning. You could go and actually just see how this word agape is used across the New Testament, and, and you might in fact find that it's not as cut and dry as sometimes people assume it to be. Um, That could be one thing you could do with this verse. Uh, Another, and I'll I'll do this with you here, is world. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Uh, The word there is cosmos. And so I'm going to click that. It gives me the G number 2889. And up comes an outline of biblical usage where there's a whole lot of things here where it can refer to just the created order. And we know here that that's not so much what what, uh, John is talking about. It's not that God so loved the water and the the mountains and the trees that he sent his only son. No, it's that uh, definition five there, the inhabitants of the earth, the men, the, the human family, if you want. But we could go just a little bit further. Look at that definition six. It also can mean the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. We might go, well, what's in view here? Is it just people or is it people who are hostile to God? Well, come down to the cross references and scroll until you hit the book of John, because we want to try and keep the use of cosmos there, the, the use of world within John's gospel. And we find straight away in John 1 verse 10 that he, Jesus, was in the world, the cosmos, and the world cosmos was made through him, yet the world cosmos did not know him. Uh, and so we, we see straight away that there's this picture of hostility from the world towards Jesus. That's part of the, the shade of this uh, verse that, that we're working with. Uh, as we scroll down through John's gospel as well. Uh, we find in John 7, 7, that the world cannot hate you, he says to his disciples, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. So again, we have here the hostile world that's actually in view, not just the the world as in all people everywhere, but the world as in people who are evil and sinful and hate God. And so um, as we consider that that extra shade of meaning, we might want to say something like You know, wow, that's the world that God chose to love. The world that hates him. Um, So doing a bit of that word study can help bring that out for us. Uh, Two more quick things just to notice. Um, He gave his one and only son or his only begotten son. Uh, Again, there's a a word there, monogonaire, that I, I could click on and learn a little bit more about. So I'm going to click that here. And what we find is that in the outline of biblical usage, that just means single of its kind and only. So it's used of only sons or only daughters. Like if you've got uh, not, not two sons, but one, then um, you know you would use that to, to say, oh yes, the monogonier, I've got just one son. Um, the second definition there is used of Christ and denotes the only begotten son of God. Now we don't really use that word begotten anymore. Uh, and so it's, uh, you know, a little bit confusing for us, perhaps. Uh, but we can just go with the main definition here, that it just means only, one of a kind. And so what's this saying about Jesus? It's it's saying, of course, that he is the only son of God the Father. Uh, it's, it's a claim, I think, actually, of his divinity, because he is one of essence with God the Father and God the Spirit. Um, and whenever you see translations, like I think the NIV and the ESV, all say um, one and only there. They don't use the language of begotten. Uh, That's probably actually fair enough. Uh, Really what it's just saying is that Jesus is one of a kind. Uh, And then when we're included as sons and daughters by faith in Jesus, uh, that's because we are in the one and only son. We're not sort of added to the family just as as other sons and daughters. We're incorporated in through the son and in the son. Um, John brings that out quite a lot and Other writers do too. Last thing I'll I'll mention is uh, the word believes there. And this might be familiar to you. Um, You can see there, pistuon, pistouon is how you say that. Um, Click the Greek number and it comes up there with an outline of usage to think to be true, be persuaded of, but look at that last one, place confidence in. It's not just going, ah, yes, I think that's true but it's, it's like resting your weight onto the chair. So to believe in the son is not just to go, ah, yes, I think I'm persuaded that he's the son of God and that he saves me. It's to fully place my trust and eternal confidence into him. And as you go through, you might want to look at the cross references and just see, you know, where is this word believe or um, uh, similar similar English words like that. Uh, use where where is that used that that has that sense of really placing my confidence in uh, John 1.12 is one example of that where you get but to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God uh, to receive is is not just to give assent to but to you know take into it's it's receiving a gift and opening it uh, and believing in his name. Obviously, is more than just saying yes. I think it's true. It's it's actually really um, saying, yeah, you know, This is the name that saves me. This is the name I look to, and that's what gives us the right to become children of God. All right. So, I um, hope you have some fun with that tool and um, give it a go. If you're reading the New Testament or perhaps even the Old Testament at some point this week, have a have a try with it. Because um, beginning of next class, I just want to ask if anyone turned anything up as a result. So, um, give it a go. If you've got any questions, then feel free to get in touch with me and look forward to this Sunday where we do some fun, immersive Bible reading together. All right. See you later.